I got this great idea. That's totally original. <laughs> Teasing. We're going to start our sermon where Pastor Phil left off. And if you remember, he ran the tape out in front of us as a symbol of time. That our time is only a little part of this time. And so he said, maybe the time is 4,000 years. Maybe it's 9,000 years. Maybe it's millions of years. He didn't get into the specifics. He just said, there's been a lot of time that has happened. And there'll be a lot of time that continues to happen. And in that time, we have our little Lego life. Um, and before I forget, just in keeping with that theme, yesterday, um, Joanne Collier, some of you might know her, she's part of our church family, she went to be with Jesus. And she was told, you'll probably have two years to live. And then she passed away soon thereafter. And so uh, if you know her, we grieve. We grieve as a church family, um, but we grieve as those who have hope. And it's a reminder. Um, well, it's a beautiful thing. She helped out in the hospitality ministry. And now, so she was extending the hospitality of Jesus. But now she's living in the hospitality of Jesus. It's a beautiful thing that she's with the Lord. And uh, so we grieve, we celebrate. And we also are reminded once again that our lives really are, they're short they are Lego-like, and we just get this little spot in the timeline that is reality. And so Phil left us there with this really powerful image, having set up a theology of time. And so to sum it up, he said that these thousands or millions of years that is this tape, that is both God's creation, so he made time, and it's also God's gift to his creation. You get time within this time. And then at the time that we have in this vast expanse, you, all, you and I, we only get this minuscule little portion. That is this little Lego man. And so in light of that, just the vastness of time, the smallness of our time, he said a summons that is all throughout scripture this gift is a time. Sorry, this time is a gift that you have. Don't waste it. Use it. Steward it. Spend it wisely. And this morning, what I want to do is I want to narrow the aperture. I want to zoom in on this little guy. Okay? We're going we're gonna to zoom in on this guy. And we're going to look at everyday life. Because... You and I, we don't live life in years or in decades. We live life daily. We live sunrise to sunset. And scripture has a lot to say about our everyday lives. It's full of stories of people getting jobs, getting fired, getting married, raising kids, laughing at jokes, repairing fishing nets, selling cloth, doing carpentry, everyday life. The ancient Greek word for this everyday life is called chronos, 
We all live in chronos. Uh, we get words like chronology and chronic from that word. We live in tick-tock time, ordinary time. And scripture tells countless stories of people in this tick-tock time because that's where we meet God. You meet God in the everyday. And you learn to walk with God in the everyday. And it's there that you learn to join God in his purposes in ordinary, everyday life. And just like our lives, the ordinary people of scripture, refugees, business people, fishermen, mothers, carpenters, governors, they didn't just hop from one monastery to another trying to find God in like the sacred places. They encountered God in the ordinary and there they daily learned what it means to walk with God each and every day in their everyday lives, their workaday lives. So don't you want that? Don't you want to experience God in the Monday to the Saturday and not just on Sunday? And we have a problem in our imagination because, and I've always wanted to do this. <laughs> we think that Christianity is right here. We think that our life with God is like circumscribed by the pew. And so this is, this is where our faith with God and our walk with God happens. One hour on a Sunday. One hour on a Sunday in a pew. And then Monday to Saturday is something else. That is incredibly boring. And some of you are probably really bored because you have that view of Christianity that's like contained in the pew. I, I, th I thought of this. Pew means people enslaved to the wood. <laughs> and if you flip it, this came to me earlier last week. It's B-E-M. And if we flip the pew understanding, the puny understanding of Christianity, it's brothers and sisters equipped for ministry. That's church. We are equipping the saints for the work of the ministry in the world. Ephesians 4.12, priesthood of all believers. Can I get an amen? And uh, yikes, help me, Lord. <laughs> Because now it's not just you looking at me for me to do the stuff. What an inefficient way. But it's now all of us and anyone on staff here, <laughs> our job is to give you wings, give you wind, right? You do it. And I'll do it too. <laughs> we'll all do it. Um, so how do we live in the everydayness of God? Three things I want to impress upon you. Your days are appointed by God. Your days are seasoned by God. Your days are counted by you. You count your days. So number one, your days are appointed by God. It's very easy for us to imagine our time here together as our weekly one-hour appointment with Jesus. Yay. And that the time we spend in this building doing Religious stuff with God is great. But then when we go out there into the world where Nancy went to London Drugs, you know, that world. Like, we do other stuff. We do non-religious stuff out there. So here we do the sacred stuff. And then out there we do, like, the secular stuff that we kind of have to do. And it's most of our life. 
And God has nothing to do with it. It's too bad. So this partitioned understanding of reality, you may have heard of like sacred and secular divide. That, that's so common to our thinking, but it, like you cannot find that anywhere in Scripture. And so while our natural reflex is to think that we have these little God appointments every now and then, and definitely on Sunday when we go to church, you just don't find that in Scripture. What you find in Scripture is this, and this metaphor has helped me understand it, is your life is one long, undivided appointment with God. Your whole life is spent in his office. You never actually leave. You know, you go to the doctor's office, you expect something, you get, you get the pills or you get the diagnosis or you get help, and then you leave and get on with your life and like you don't have to deal with the doctor anymore. We think about Christianity like that, but the Bible says you're born into his office and you're with him for your whole life. You're in an appointment with God. So imagine that, your entire life, your studies, you're doing the dishes, you're filing taxes, which we hope you do, your workouts at the Y. They're all part of one long, undivided appointment with God. And I'm not making this up. This is Paul, the Apostle Paul. He walks into Athens, the cradle of democracy. He goes onto the Areopagus, where the philosophers and the politicians argue, you know, the fascinating ideas of the time. And they're like, tell us about this Jesus thing and the resurrection. And he's like, okay. <laughs> and then he says these words about time. Acts 17, 26 to 28. From one man, from one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. And he's talking about people, nations, but also individuals. Your time has been appointed in history by God. And God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. Let me say two things about this scripture. First, there's never a moment in your everyday life where you are not literally in the presence of God. Brian walks out of Leon walks onto Leon Avenue with all the homeless people. You are literally in the presence of God. You were in the presence of God before you got to the door. You're still in the presence of God when you're outside there and in the chaos there. You're always in the presence of God. He is not far from any one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. Our appointment with God is never ending. We never, as it were, leave God's office. We are always in his presence and so when Jesus sends out his followers, he says, surely I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth, even to the ends of the age, wherever you go, I'm with you. And then, so we have the presence of God, but we also have the purpose of God. So why did God appoint our times and our places well, whenever you see a so that, that's called a purpose clause for you English people out there. But it's really helpful for everyone because you're like, why did he do that? Oh, so that. Well, let's read up here. So that you and I would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. 
because he's not that far away. He's near. So God has rigged your everyday life so that you can find him. He's rigged your life and inclined things in such a way that you will want to seek him. And also, he is searching for you as well. So the word for searching there in the original language evokes a picture of a person. You ever been in the dark and you're like trying to feel your way down the hallway to where the light switch is? It's like this groping after. That's the picture. That's the verb there in the Greek. And it's an appropriate image because finding God at KPMG, at the gospel mission, in a biology class at UBCO, at London Drugs, in the food court, in the mall, it's kind of like that, isn't it? God doesn't like fly by in a bright red biplane with a sign like, I am at work. God's way more subtle than that. He's way more subtle. And so you have to get a feel for God and his ways in the world. We have to pay attention. His seeking of us is subtle. And I love this quote by Paul Stevens, professor at Regent College. He said this, Time is an evangelist to take us beyond the present to recognize we are being sought by God himself. So time is an evangelist. Time is, is good newsing us. God's working through time, showing us that he is seeking after us. But sadly, most of us can be oblivious to the working of God in our everyday lives. And this spiritual ignorance can lead us to a painful experience of fragmentation. And so I stumbled upon this paragraph written by an author that was writing the foreword for uh, Brother Lawrence's uh, Practicing the Presence of God, which is a very famous Christian classic on basically a man in the 1700s asking the question, how can I just live in the presence of God for my whole life in everything that I do? Like when I'm peeling carrots in the kitchen and when I'm picking up a piece of straw from the floor. And so he writes these letters but in the forward, we have these words that I thought were so, um, they speak to our condition. And here's what he writes. Our lives are fragmented. There are so many things to do, so many events to worry about, so many people to think of, so many experiences to work through, so many tasks to fulfill, so much laundry to get done in my house. This fragmentation is probably one of the most painful experiences of modern men and women. Underneath the running and the rushing of modern life often lurks the nagging feeling of being disconnected and alienated from ourselves and from God and from each other. And so he says often we end up bored. And so while we are so busy, we feel an inner emptiness. And maybe you're like, wow, that's putting words on my experience right now, or I know what that's like. And so what's the way to wholeness? It's practicing the presence of God. It's realizing that you are in one long, continuous appointment with God. You're always in his presence. I was talking to James Perot, who heads up the University Christian Ministries at UBCO. We were watching our sons practice basketball and secretly hoping that our son was better than the other son. But uh, when we got over that competition... Um, he was talking about when he started the ministry there, and his mentor said, hey, James, when you walk up the hill to UBCO, pray this prayer. Lord, what do you have for me today? And so it's a lot like Paul walking up the hill to the Mount of uh, 
the mount dedicated to the god of Mars in Athens, I bet, I bet Paul was praying, Lord, what do you have for me? What do you want to say? And he's like, oh, there's a sign to an unknown god. Wow, Lord, you're doing something there. I'm going to include that in my sermon later on, which is found in chapter 7 or 17. He was paying attention. He was probably praying that. 2,000 years later, James Furrow going up the hill to UBCO, a place where future politicians, philosophers argue the great ideas of our time. And God's using him there. And James has stories of God on the move at UBCO. So what if you prayed that prayer when you go to work? Lord, what do you have for me today? What are you doing around me? How, you, how do you want to use me? Your days are appointed by God. Number two, your days are seasoned by God. So there are seasons to our lives that we need to pay attention to. Just as a farmer will carefully pay attention to whether it's winter or whether spring's coming, or I got, I got a carpenter up there, my man, he helped do my house. Adam would pay, he did some woodwork for us and he was working with cedar because we love cedar. I mean, who, anyone here love cedar? God bless you. Uh, when he's working with the cedar, what did he pay attention to? The grain. And so as he's, whatever tool he's using <laughs> to shave it down, he's paying it, we'll say a, a planer, an electric planer, because this is the modern world. Or maybe he's like, he's a hipster, so he's actually brought out the old planer that's not electric, and it's two extra hours, but he's getting paid hourly, so praise Jesus. And, uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> wait, how did it work, Adam? Yeah, that was, it was really expensive, come to think of it. No. <laughs> A carpenter pays attention to the grain of the wood. A farmer pays attention to the season. A Christian pays attention to the season they're in. This is so important. I was realizing that when I was writing it yesterday, like, this is really important. And then I had people coming up to me like, wow, I am in this season. It's so important. We read about this from the teacher who wrote his name's Kohelet in the Hebrew. He wrote Ecclesiastes. And I want to read some of those verses that talk about seasons. Because a farmer is fruitful insofar as he lives and farms in sync with the seasons. And so it is with God and us. Ecclesiastes 3, just various scriptures there. There is a time for everything. A season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born. Maisie, a time to die. My dad died eight years ago, just a few days ago. A time to plant, a time to uproot, a time to love, a time to hate, a time for war, a time for peace. And it goes on and on and on. All these just gritty, earthy, everyday things and seasons. God has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Wow. Nothing could be added to what he does. Nothing could be taken away from it. God does this so that people will fear him, which is very similar to God does it so that you would seek him, reach out for him, find him. It's very similar. Just the fear of God gets at ethical awe or, wow, you are... God, so I want to honor you with my life. So it's a very beautiful uh, respect and reverence for the Lord when we see that whew, he's got the whole world in his hands and he's seasoning our lives. 
So you and I experience time seasonally. Our days are not all the same, and our days are not all different. There's a pattern. There's a rhythm that can be discerned, and we don't make it up. God makes it up. He weaves it in. It's his warp and woof. It's his graining. There's something to our seasons in life, for as Parker Palmer says, our seasons offer unique opportunities for growth. And so here's a main point. Our seasons of life are not merely a point in time. Our seasons of life are time with a point. Seasons are time with a point, with a plot line, with a purpose. And it's always growth. God is wanting to grow us. He wants to move us from immaturity to maturity, from infancy to adulthood in him. And so he's pulling us along through these seasons. So what season are you in? What season are you in? I met with a friend a few weeks ago at a local pub and over a beer. It was crazy. I was, second service, you get a bit more notes. I was driving to the pub nervous because I knew that he wasn't, he's in a tough place spiritually. And the spirit of God said to me, he is spiritually aimless. And you need to bring that up over your nice time having a beer. So I sat down, we're talking, and then I'm like, yeah, I got to get to this point. And I'm like, I just need to say, you're spiritually aimless, aren't you? And you're stuck. And he's like, yes, I've been like that for months. And so I'm like, here, here's more beer. No, I'm teasing. <laughs> I'm teasing. I was like, uh, we just explored that. We just explored that. So St. Ignatius will call that a season of desolation. But it's not a fluke. It's like God is doing something in this young man. And so I'm like, we've got to pay attention to that. What is he doing? What is he birthing you? Uh, what's, what ideas are like, oh, yeah, I could do that with the Lord. So we're paying attention to the season. So maybe some of you are in a season of desolation. Some of, some of you here might be in a season of discernment. So you feel like God has got you in one place, but he's kind of leading you into another. And so you're kind of in the in-between times. And there's that tension. And you like to have control. Yes and amen. But he's taking control from you. And you got, you're learning patience. You're learning what it means to wait upon the Lord. And he's refining your will so that you will only want his will. Your will be done, Lord, not mine. And it's not just a personal thing. So if, if you've been walking with KGF for a while, <laughs> we've had some turbulence in the past. But it was a part of a season of discernment where we were trying to figure out, Lord, what's our vision? Where are we going? What's our horizon? And then what are our values? What is the way that we're going to get there? We're gonna, we want to be led by the Spirit. We want to live out God's love. We want to be deeper in prayer and scripture and faith. And so now our discernment is, Yay, we wrote, we, we wrote those on a piece of paper. Yay. No, no, that's just the start. Now it's discerning how do we live that out as a church here, Gordon and Casorso, and how do we live that out in our marriages and our workplaces? So Nancy, Edna London Drugs, takes a step. In step. She's in step with the Spirit. She's learning how to be led by the Spirit. And even just as we were worshiping the Lord, I 
it's important how we interpret things. So I'll go on to mention a scripture of Jesus saying, you got to interpret the times. So you sit here in the second service and you're like, oh, it used to be full. And now there's these spaces. And part of it's sadness because we miss certain people and that's fine. But this is what I see <laughs> after I get over that. It's like, Lord, there are seasons of pruning. And KGF was a little fat. And there were, there were limbs and things he needed to do. And now I just, there's this like incredible work of the spirit that God's doing that you can't just measure by how many people are in the pews. Okay? So God really is at work in this place. And there's a, there's a nimbleness to the people here. Because he's, he's cut some things away. John 15, right? He's the vine dresser. He cuts away limbs. And so I'm encouraged because I just sense a move of the Holy Spirit in this church and what he's doing with us is incredible. And so empty pews means God's going to, there's room for people to come and, and join in what the new thing God is doing here. I want to mention a few more seasons. You might be in a season of mourning. You miss your friend. You miss your spouse, your job, your boyfriend, your girlfriend. And it, it'd be really tempting to like rush through that season of grieving and get to the other side. Or maybe have this false belief that, well, Christians always should have joy. Well, then why the heck did God include so many lament psalms in the middle of the Bible? A couple came up to me after the first sermon and they're like, well, the wife was like, I am in a season of mourning. Because a, a leader I respected fell and my mother died recently. And it was like, oh, just for someone to say like, hey, you're in a season of mourning and that's okay. And you should be crying. You should be apologizing for those tears. And if you don't cry those tears, the soil of your heart will crack and dry up. But if you water them with the tears, your heart will be soft and you'll move into the next season he has for you. And I think of my mom, my dad, my dad died eight years ago on November 21st. My mom grieved for years. And Bill Hybels is like, come on, get in ministry and be productive. That way of thinking. It's like, no, I just need to grieve years and years and years. And now like eight years later, she's like mentoring tons of young women in, in her church and she calls it her Titus II ministry because <laughs> she has so much wisdom because she walked with my dad for 25 years through Parkinson's disease and maybe she has a thing or two to teach young people and young people want to want to just lap that up they want wisdom so I'm so thankful that my mom didn't you know shortcut around that grieving maybe you're in a season of loneliness God wants to teach you about friendship Maybe you're in a season of humbling. Often when we're injured, <laughs> God humbles us. I remember being in Thailand as a youth pastor. I tried to do everything because I was so bloody important. I ended up in the hospital on an IV for three days, and the Lord said, look, this youth ministry is running tonight, and you're not even there. And I was like, well, it can't run without me. Oh, tear off all the cords, run to the church. <laughs> Maybe you're injured. Maybe you have a, a limitation physically and God is through the limit showing you something about him, his character. Maybe you're in a season of barrenness. He's showing you his fullness. Maybe you're in a season of doubt. Like Thomas. 
But that's because God wants to bring about a deeper, real faith in him. Maybe you're in a season of disorientation. Saul persecuting Jesus, locking up Christians, maybe even killing them. God blinds him. He's groping around, searching. He finds Jesus. He goes from disorientation to a reorientation around who Jesus is. He is the risen Lord. Now he's in Athens preaching to the philosophers and the politicians of his day. But he had to go through a season of blindness. Season of pruning, I mentioned KGF. Maybe you're in a season of pruning and, cut and cutting. But Jesus cuts so that there can be new growth. Maybe you're in a season of resting. So last year was really hard for Beth and I with Maisie and that whole journey, not knowing she would live. And she is living and we feel the Lord saying, get to work because you were on a leave of absence for three months. You got to catch up. No, he didn't say that. He's like, what? take a year and just have some rest. Like rest in me and don't have to be so productive, Marcus. Don't, you know, don't find your identity in being productive. So we're in a season of resting in him. If you know your season, are you submitting to it? Are you letting God be the teacher and you the student? Or are you like, ah, I would do it better. I'll do it this way. And teachers are like, uh, I'm the teacher. You're the student. So listen, we're the clay. He's the potter. Let him do his work. And if you don't know your season, you can ask the Lord. Or you have friends that know you. You can be like, what do you think God's doing in my life right now? And this brings validation Again, that lady that was like, I'm in a season of mourning. It was just like, oh, just to have that like acknowledge that this is where God has me. So I can just feel all those feelings and process and grow and allow him to work in me. Now we can also miss our season in life. Let me illustrate. So often we are like my seven-year-old son, Raphael, who in the morning wants to run outside wearing only shorts and a t-shirt because he forgets it's winter. So he's like, you know, t-shirt, shorts, goes to the door. And I'm like, Raph, it's winter. It's minus five. And he's like, dad, these shorts are like insulated and the shirt's like really warm. And it's just like, ah, and I've got three other kids to get to school. Well, two other kids. And I'm just like, get Upstairs, get pants, get sweater, get toque, get gloves, get everything. And then I repeat process for all my children. And uh, it's funny, but it's a not so funny picture of us that we just want to like run into our lives, you know, wearing shorts and it's winter. We missed the season. Well, we're running in wearing like all this snow gear and it's like 40 degrees and it's summer. And we're like, ha, 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 Rafa. But it's like, ha, ha, us missing the season that God has us in. And Jesus will point this out to people in Luke's gospel. Chapter 12, verse 54 to 56, he says to the crowd, when you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say, oh, it's going to rain. And it does. And when the south wind blows, you say, oh, it's going to be really hot. And it is. Hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and sky. 
How is it that you don't know how to interpret this present time? This present time. What is God doing? In that time, the kingdom of God is just erupting around them through Jesus, and people are missing it. And that can be us too. And I think a lot of boredom experienced in the Christian life comes from what Jesus rebukes. We fail to interpret this present time, the working of God in our everyday life. And because our days get so easily blurred together and featureless, like when you're in a car going really fast on the highway and all the trees just start blurring, you don't see them distinctly, our lives can just become featureless and just predictably bland. And so have you ever felt like this? I get up, I go to work, I come home, I eat, I sleep, I get up, I go to work, I come home, I eat, I sleep, I get up, and this is your life. Have you ever felt like that? I hear that from a lot of young fathers. I really felt like that once we had kids. Just like, oh man, I'm in the wheel now. <laughs> I just struggle. Like, what's the point of my life? We could feel that way. Like a meaningless hamster. It's not fair to the hamsters because they actually really enjoy that time in the wheel. But uh, as, a as a metaphor for us, we need more than that. You need meaning. Viktor Frankl survived, I think it's Auschwitz, and he wrote about how, he wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. He meant men and women. Man's Search for Meaning. And here's what he wrote. Life is never made unbearable by circumstances. Auschwitz. Bad job at DQ. Uh, class you don't want to be in, but you have to to get your bachelor's. Life is not made unbearable by those circumstances, but only by a lack of meaning and purpose. We need purpose and meaning. And when you discern the season that God has you in, it's powerful. I remember being a carpenter 10 years ago. I was average. I was good enough for my brother to keep me. And uh, it's the benefit of being employed by your family. It's really awkward to fire you. And uh, <laughs> I did not want to be a carpenter. And I'm like, I got a Master's of Divinity from Regent College. I should be leading a church. And God's like, be quiet, pick up a hammer, and do construction for five years. And as I began to receive that, I was like, oh, I'm in a season of being humbled because I just got letters to my name. But that's going to come between me and the people. So God was just planing me down, baby, in the trenches <laughs> and uh, preparing me and working in me and... Uh, I remember God saying, the work I'm doing in you right now, I can't do anywhere else. So would you please just pick up your hammer and build that wall for me? Yes, Lord, I will. Um, your days are seasoned. So what season are you in? And lean into that. Lastly, number three, your days are counted by you. Psalm 90, verse 12. I'm going to read Robert Alter's translation. Oh, such a good translation of all the Psalms. But this one I love. He writes this in his translation. Lord, to count our days rightly, instruct, so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Lord, to count our days aright. We want to do it right. Please instruct us so that we can be wise, so that we can know how to live significantly. So the context of this verse is the tension between God's eternal nature and our own brevity. 
So we are like the grass that withers away compared to God who is from everlasting to everlasting. And because the sum of our days on earth are so few, we need to count our days precious and so make our days count. Now, when you hear that, this can be a very dangerous thing because we got Germans and Dutch people here. We got products of the Industrial Revolution and the Protestant work ethic and seven habits of highly effective people and this like explosion of like productivity literature, which I love. <laughs> but we're like, oh, so to count our days means we got to do more in our day than we normally do. Like up productivity, up efficiency. We got to be like super busy. We got to be hustling at work. That's a real like buzzword in the, in the productivity industry. Are you hustling? Are you hustling at work? Yeah, man, I'm hustling. Well, your soul is like, could you please stop hustling? Can you just like work with a rhythm? We think this is a call to doing more, but it's not. Counting our days is a call to living deeply, not busily, to connecting our lives to the purposes of God in our everyday life. And so how do we do that? Sounds great. How do we do that? Well, I was, I was reading the rest of the psalm because when you preach on one verse or when you read one verse, it's good to then go pull back and go, oh, what does the rest of that passage say? And, and Psalm 90 is like an awesome psalm on time. And at the end of it, we get these beautiful verbs. And I see three in there that kind of unpack what it might mean to count our days aright. So number one, we count our days rightly by starting our days in God's unfailing love. Verse 14, Lord, satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Now, most of us, and the studies show this, we get out of bed and we're like, smartphone, Instagram, stocks, work emails. That's how we start our day. Does that satisfy the soul? No. You will notice anxiety or jealousy. What? They did that? Why wasn't I invited? That's called FOMO. Fear of missing out. Those things aren't bad, but like, is that the best way to start your day? And I could be guilty of it too. Because in the morning we can be zombies and we're just like, phone, I'm a robot. It's like, no. Start your day with the unfailing love of God. Establish your day in God's word. An older gentleman after the first service came up to me and he's like, hey, your mercies are new every morning. So he's like, every morning I ask God, what is your new mercy for me? And I was just like, I think that guy's been doing that for like 25 years and you can just feel it. And I'm like, I should do that. And I'm going to pass it on to you. It's one of our wise people from our church. Literally, there's a new mercy, a new gift of grace for you every morning. So ask for that. It's going to be better than a new email. Get to the email after. Again, I'm not against technology, wireless mic, case in point. Number two, we count our days rightly by looking where God is working. Verse 16, may your deeds be shown to your servants. 
and your splendor to Elijah, Raphael, Pascal, Maisie. Your splendor to the children of the servants. We have a lot of children of the servants here in this church. May they see your splendor. Ask God to show you his deeds, his works in your everyday life. That's that prayer. Where are you working, Lord, as I'm out and about? This will help you then identify what season you're in as you're paying attention to the seasoning of God in your everyday life. And lastly, number three, we count our days rightly by engaging in the things that matter to God, not just our culture. Verse 17, may the favor of the Lord, of our God, rest on us, establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. So just right there, there's a theology of work. Like God actually cares about what your hands are doing. He cares about law. He cares about construction and real estate and whatever else you guys do, <laughs> school and retail. He cares about that. But in that, this longing for being established, the Hebrew word is konin. It's the word used for keeping dynasties and buildings unshaken. So it's a picture of permanence and, and substantialness. So this prayer is a call for us little Lego beings to be doing stuff that will last for eternity. Little Lego people filled by the Spirit engaging with the things that are on God's heart. Living eternal kind of lives, as Dallas Willard says, in our everyday lives. And Jesus put it this way in his Sermon on the Mount. I close with these words. In your everyday lives, seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, his wholeness. And then you will have everything you need to live out the life that he has for you. All these things will be added unto you as well. That is grounded in the kingdom of God. Let's, let's pray. <laughs> Lord, thank you for being the kind of person that likes to speak to us. A fancy way to say that is you're a God of revelation. You tell us things that we could not guess on our own about yourself and about this world. And God, in us is a longing for that, that firmness, that being substantial. Lord, we, don't, we have a longing. We have eternity in our hearts. We do not long to be grass that withers away. We want to be people that last. And so God, help us to be connected to you. Lord, for those of you, for those people here that don't know you, Jesus, they don't have a relationship with the immortal God. Lord, I pray that in this season of searching, that they be searching God and that they would find you because you're not far off. And Lord, for those of us that do know you, God, could we just help us to take you seriously? Help us to, when we hear your word, actually just take you at your word. Lord, help us to live in our everyday lives with a growing sense that, oh my gosh, God is here. Wow. I'm not an orphan in the world. I am a son and a daughter in the world. I'm in the world. I'm not of it. Lord, use us. You don't want 
infants, Lord. You wanted infantry. And so would you just raise us up to be salt and light and lovers of people in this city and beyond. We commit ourselves to you. And we pray this in Christ's name. And everyone said, amen.